0: We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter number 4 this evening, 1 Timothy 4, and before I have you stand, we'll, we'll stand in a moment and read the scripture, that uh, our text scripture for the evening, but just to kind of remind you of where we're at on Sunday nights, a couple of weeks ago I introduced this subject to you uh, <clears throat> about this idea of being wholly sanctified, completely Uh, set apart for the Lord and His glory. And that comes from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the past uh, couple of weeks, we've considered this subject of how man is a three-part being, that we are spirit and soul and body, and we need to be careful not to get, uh, I don't know if I want to say overly focused, but maybe to, to neglect that, that understanding that, uh, that we are not just uh, a body, that we are not just a soul, but that God has made us unique and He's made us in His image, but all of us belongs to Him. And as we consider this subject tonight, I want to talk about the priority of the spiritual life as who we are in Christ. Uh, while we are a three-part being and we are to be wholly sanctified in spirit and soul and body, I want to show you from the Scripture tonight that we must prioritize our spiritual life and our walk with the Lord. So, uh, with that in mind, if you're at 1 Timothy chapter 4, would you stand with me this evening? 1 Timothy chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, listen to this, and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables... And notice these words, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. In this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is, of course, addressing Timothy, his son in the faith, who... Has been entrusted, really, with uh, the care of, uh, of of a church, a particular church. Where we read that he was left in Ephesus uh, to kind of oversee the uh, the church that was there, and in in. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 3, we're told that this, this book is instructional, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, right? And, and that's kind of the idea here. And now, now Paul is charging him as a preacher, as a leader, to be careful about the doctrine that comes forth from the pulpit and what is being preached and what is being taught. He warns him initially in in the first couple of verses of these false teachers that are going to come in the latter time, these seducing spirits, these doctrines of devils. And then he goes on, and it may even seem a bit strange, just following kind of the flow of the passage, that the way that this false doctrine manifests itself, verse number 3, is forbidding to marry... And commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth, and so these you know when you think of false doctrine, maybe you don 't think of it this way, uh, but but part of this false doctrine was that they were going there were going to be people who would come into the church and forbid to marry, in other words, to basically say that there, there needed to be a life of celibacy, at least for uh, certain individuals or whatever the case was, and they, were, they would forbid to marry. The Bible says that that is a doctrine of devils. That's not of God. There are some even today, some religions out there, that in order to serve in certain areas, in certain capacities, you must take a vow of celibacy. The Bible says that that is a doctrine of devils. That's not of God. Remember, God is the one who instituted marriage. doesn't mean everyone has to be, say, or have to, has to be married. But, but everyone ought to uh, uh, consider that God created the institution of marriage. And whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. You don't forbid to marry. This is a, uh, an institution that God created. And then he said the other thing is that they'll command to abstain from meats. And again, there are religions out there today uh, that, that do just that. There are certain types of food. They, they're not allowed to touch. They're not allowed to eat because, uh, you know, it's, it's unclean. Or maybe it's a cer- certain time of the year and they're not to uh, partake of certain things. I'm just saying, God said these are some areas of danger. And as he's, as he's warning about these false doctrines that are going to creep in, I want you to notice what he says here in verse number six. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, uh, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Wow. Uh, So in other words, if I can prevent people from believing that celibacy is always the right answer, I'm a good minister. Is that what he's saying? (laughs) No, not necessarily. But he goes on and explains this a little bit further. He says in verse number 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and notice the word, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Here was, the, here was what was so damning about these false doctrines. It wasn't necessarily just these doctrines in themselves, but it was this, this understanding that somehow our spirituality is wrapped up ...in what we do or do not do. Have you ever considered that one of the great dangers of of the day and age in which we live... ...and even in churches like ours, is that sometimes we can judge people based upon what they do or do not do. In other words, we assume that someone is spiritual because they do this or that they're not spiritual because they do this. You know what that's called? That's called legalism. The biblical understanding is that our spiritual life is not about do's and don'ts, but it really is the motivation behind that which uh, that what we, that which we do. And it is what's wrapped up in this word called godliness. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. In other words, rather than being so focused on all of these details and do's and don'ts and commanding and forbidding and all of these things, here's what you need to exercise yourself in godliness. Strive for godliness. Notice what he says, verse number 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little. Some people that might be their... Life verse, I don't know. Bodily exercise profiteth little. But that, that phrase, bodily exercise, it's not just talking about physical exercise, working out, working the muscles, getting the heart rate up. That, that's not the only aspect of it. Bodily exercise has to do with that which we do physically. And it says that, that bodily exercise profiteth little, but But godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. I have to be careful as a preacher of the word of God because as I preach the Bible, I have to preach the whole counsel of God. That means that there are certain things that I have to identify. This is right and this is wrong because the Bible says so. I've got to make sure that I'm doing that. However, I also need to be very careful not to make it come across as though if you do these things and you don't do these things, everything's right between you and God. What my primary motivation needs to be is to get you... To follow after the Lord and pursue Him and exercise yourself unto godliness. And notice what he says, for godliness is profitable unto all things. In other words, if you will obey the Lord, you know what's going to happen? All these other things are going to take care of themselves. You know, it's like this. I can preach on tithing and I need to preach on tithing because it's part of the Word of God. And if you're, a, if, if you're a child of God, you ought to be giving the first of, of your finances, your first firstfruits. You need, you need to be honoring the Lord with that. That's a biblical principle. But you know what? If, if, if all you do is say, well, God said I have to tithe, therefore I tithe, and you're doing that simply out of obligation, you've missed the point of giving. Because the Bible says that God loveth a cheerful giver, and the reality is, if we would yield to him in our body, and our spirit, which are God's, if we would give him our life, guess what? He'd have our money too. And so the concept here is that the, 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 don't, don't put the focus and the emphasis on that which is external, but rather that which is internal. You remember how the Pharisees were? You know, when we, as New Testament Christians, we look back on the Pharisees, and you say Pharisees, and we get this kind of like negative view. But but understand, that really wasn't the case in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were the most well-respected religious people of the day. Why? Because their lives outwardly were the epitome, in the minds of the people, the epitome of righteousness and godliness. And the reason that Jesus had so many run-ins with the Pharisees is because Jesus' ministry was all about this idea. It's not just what's on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside. And you're like, he, what did he call them? Whited sepulchers. And you know, you make clean the outside of the cup, but, but, but what's, what's going on in your heart? You're, you're wicked. You're far from God. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You can be right on the outside and not be right on the inside. And so, the focus needs to not just be on the external. And young people, I want to really encourage you in this and, and, and challenge you. Because growing up in church and growing up under Bible preaching, you learn a lot of do's and don'ts and you learn right from wrong. But I want to tell you that I have sat where you sit. And I have been right where you are, dressed just like you are, singing just like you do, and in my heart I was far from God. Because you can have everything right on the outside and be far from God on the inside. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, the priority of our lives. Even though, as we've talked about in previous weeks, we must be careful to give to God all of us our spirit and our soul and our body, it all must belong to God. Our priority, the precedent of our life, must be our spiritual life because Jesus said it's out of the heart that flow the issues of life. I want to just show you a few places in Scripture that would indicate that there is a priority on our spiritual life. Go with me to 3 John. The book of 3 John, right near the end of the New Testament... It's not that God doesn't care about our physical bodies or about what we do and don't do. Obviously, God cares about those things. But it is not just the outside and it's not just the physical life that matters to the Lord. Notice 3 John Verse number two, look what he says. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So what what is he saying? I'm wishing for you that you would have good health physically and that you would prosper, that you would be taken care of materially. This is a desire that I have for you. And by the way, if you love people, you'll desire those things for them. Do you not want your children to be financially stable and to be physically healthy? Of course. There's a reason that our prayer list is always filled with people who have physical needs. Because we care about them and we want them to be in health, right? But read on, verse number 3, "...for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth." Listen to this, "...I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth." He said, "I, "...I want you to prosper and to be in health, but my greatest joy is in knowing that you walk in the truth. And now that I know you walk in the truth..." Now, I am desiring for you that the rest of your life would follow in that prosperity. Uh, as you are walking in truth, now my desire for you is that you would prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. You can go to a lot of places today, and a lot of the really famous and well known uh, preachers, quote unquote, preachers in the world, their message is all about the physical. Man, if you'll believe God, you'll be healthy. If, you, if you've got physical problems, it's because you don't have enough faith to trust God. And, and, and if you've got financial problems, well, you're just not believing God enough. And all, It's all external. Listen. He said, my, my desire for you, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You need to be right spiritually. And it's not that God doesn't want you to... to be comfortable financially, or or to be physically healthy. It very well may be that God wants you to do that. But the priority is not on the physical life, it is on the spiritual life. Jesus asks it this way, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Here's the problem. Most of the world today puts all of their emphasis, and even most Christians, honestly, put all of their emphasis on their physical life. Think about it. How many hours did you spend this week taking care of your material needs? You work a full-time job? I'm not saying don't work. God wants you to work. I'm just saying. I mean, 40 hours minimum? just to pay the bills, right? And then those of us who are homeowners, we're working on our, our houses and trying to keep those things up and maintain those. And, and, and those of us who are health conscious, maybe you took some time and, and spent in the gym or working out. I mean, how much time do you spend dealing with your physical life and the material things of life and your body? And how much time, how much emphasis are you placing on the spiritual life? So often... That gets neglected for all the other things. I didn't have time to read my Bible today because I was running late for work. Well, where's the priority? What I'm trying to show you is that while we need to be careful to care for all areas of our lives, the spiritual life must take priority and precedent over the rest. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians 4. I want to show you another principle in Scripture. And I want to be careful, I'm not trying to contradict anything that I've said previously, okay? However, one of the things that I have mentioned in the last couple of weeks is that if one area of our life is out of sorts, it will have an effect on the rest of our lives. Okay, one example of that would be, just personal testimony here, if I am physically ill, I mean let's just say I get a, a bad virus, a stomach flu or 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 just a, you know the flu man I've had covid a couple of times you know in the last couple of years and when I feel sick physically I have about this much desire to get up and read my bible and pray now maybe not everyone is that way but I'm just telling you for me personally it's like lord I love you can we talk when I feel better Now for those, that might sound silly to some of you, but I can tell you this, for those of you who deal with chronic physical problems, I would be shocked if that doesn't have some effect on your spiritual life. If it's not something you've got to constantly battle against in order to maintain a close walk with the Lord. I'm just saying, other areas of our life can affect us if things are out of sorts emotionally. And we're dealing with discouragement and depression or some kind of trial and tragedy in our life. You know what can happen? It can affect us physically and can affect us spiritually. It's just the way it is. Other areas of our, All of these areas of our lives will have an impact on one another. However, I want to show you that if things are right spiritually... Your spiritual life can actually overcome deficiencies in other areas of your life. Let me show you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at uh, verse number 7. For, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is, that's a tremendous statement. The, the, the things that God has given to us, we hold this treasure in an earthen vessel. That's our body. That's where we live. "...that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body." For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Look down, if you will, uh, to verse number 16. What does it say? For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish... Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What's he saying? We've got all kinds of problems in the flesh. Persecutions, distresses, we've got people coming against us. We are always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. You read about the life and ministry of Paul, how often was he beaten and stoned and cast into prison and no doubt he was malnourished at times. He said, I I, I know both how to be full and to be hungry, right? He told Timothy, if you remember, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake and for thine oft infirmities. In other words, these guys were sacrificing themselves physically so that the ministry could prosper. And it was costing them physically. However, here he says that though our outward man perish, this body that I live in is dying. He says our inward man is renewed day by day. In other words, God is giving us the strength to overcome the physical deficiencies and problems we have because he is working in our spiritual life. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And folks, can I encourage you, and especially those of you who maybe do struggle with chronic illness, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Allow the Spirit of God to give you spiritual inward renewal day by day. His mercies are new every morning. And while you may be dealing with troubling and even crippling pain, difficulty, and weakness, remember that in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. And this is what's happening. Paul here is saying, listen, our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. In Psalm 73, the psalmist there says, in verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, It is possible, as long as the emphasis is on the spiritual life, even to overcome difficulties and problems in the physical and emotional life. Okay, So we must place a priority on our spirit, on our relationship with God. Now you might ask yourself, how do I do that? How can I prioritize my spiritual life? Go with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I want to give you just some real practical ways in which you can prioritize your spiritual life over your physical life. The first one may seem very, very obvious to you, but I think it's important that we consider this. If you are to emphasize your spiritual life over your physical life, you must be born again. How tragic is it that people will live their entire life striving to do better and to have success, and to be financially successful, uh, uh, to be wealthy even, to have fulfilling relationships, and even to be physically healthy, and never even consider what happens when this life is over. It's tragic, but I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says here, "In you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh." "...and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved." What is he saying here? He's talking to believers, to Christians, and he's telling them, "...you were dead spiritually." And now you have been made alive in Christ. Listen, your need is not to become more religious, to try and gain more knowledge, to just start reading the Bible, to just start going to a Bible preaching church. Your need in your spiritual life, first and foremost, is to be made alive spiritually. And if you have not been saved, Friend, I say this in love. You are spiritually dead. You say, "Well, I, I you know, I, I'm a good person. I try to do good things." A dead person cannot be brought to life by their own efforts. It doesn't work. The Bible says that. God has quickened us or made us alive. When we were dead in sins, He made us alive. He quickened us together with Christ. You see, if you are not saved, you are not healthy. You might say, man, I just had a physical... My doctor said, I'm the specimen of health. You might be physically healthy, but you're not healthy because you're spiritually dead. You cannot have a relationship with God apart from Christ and salvation. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, we've talked about this so many times, to... To understand that we are sinners separated from God. That that we are not only hell bound, but hell deserving because of our sin. And that the only hope of eternal life that we have is in the blood of Jesus Christ. That He shed for our sins. And in repentance we turn to Him. And in faith we believe upon Him and receive His gift of eternal life. And I just want to point some things out to you about this concept of being born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, ye must be born again. The reason I think it's important for us to consider this is because so much of so-called Christianity today has confused this, and even in many evangelical-type churches, the message of salvation is little more than this idea of becoming a moral person. Or becoming a spiritually interested person. But what Jesus said was being born again is that there must be an event in your life where you are, that you pass from death unto life. And I want you to think about this. He used the example of a birth. And a birth is an event. A birth is an event that took place at a specific time and place. Everyone here has a birthday. Now, you may not know your birthday, but you have a birthday. There was a day that you came into this world. There was a day that you went from being in your mother's womb to being in the world as an autonomous person, not dependent on another. You were born on a specific day at a specific time time. And I want to say this is important because so often when I talk to people about when they came to Christ, they describe it as a season of life. Where they kind of decided they didn't like the person that they were or the way that they were headed, and so they turned over a new leaf or they kind of reinvented themselves and they started getting more serious about spiritual matters and then they just somehow grew into salvation. But that's not a biblical concept. The biblical understanding is that there is a, a specific event that takes place in our lives where we pass from death unto life. Where we are under the condemnation of God, the wrath of God abides on us, and because we believed on the only begotten Son of God, that we are under the condemnation of God, but then, in His mercy, He saves us, He quickens us, He brings us to life spiritually. It is an event. It's something that happens. I remember the day that I was married and I could take you right now to the place in Oakley, Kansas at the Sunrise Baptist Church at East 5th Street and Sunrise and at 10 o'clock in the morning May 19th, 2007 I had walked into that building earlier that morning as a single man and I walked out that day a married man there was an event that took place where I wasn't married, and then I was. If you were to ask me, what's your anniversary? Uh, if I said, well, there was a time when I didn't know my wife, and then we we kind of met, and, you know, we liked each other, and, and over the course of about a year, we got to know each other better, and and somewhere... Along the line, I guess we were married. You ask any woman her anniversary, and she'll tell you. Date, time, place, colors, flowers, right? They'll tell you all about it, because there was an event that changed everything. Everything. And let me tell you something, salvation, passing from death unto life, it's not something that we grow into. It is something that happens at a moment in time in our lives. And friend, you may not recall the date. I don't remember what the date was. But I could take you to the place where God revealed to me as a lost church kid that I was not right with Him. I could take you to the place that I knelt down and cried out to God and asked Him to save me. And I remember the event. Because a birth is an event. Secondly, a birth not only has a time and a place, it also has a before and an after. Before you were born, You were in your mother's womb, then you weren't. That's kind of a big before and after, right? The day your life began outside the womb, on earth. It's a big before and after. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new That's not something that happens progressively over time. It's something that happens immediately at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about us being washed, of us being justified, of us being sanctified. It's a momentary thing. It's something that happens. There is a time and a place, and there is a before and an after. And then let me say this, because this is equally important and yet so often forgotten, If there is a birth, and if there is a life, there's not only a time and a place, I can tell you that you have a birthday, because I'm looking at you, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. There's a time and a place, there's a before and an after, but in the life of a genuine believer, there is also an ongoing process of sanctification that does follow salvation. In other words, if you are saved, there will be evidence of life in you. I think for maybe too long we've put this emphasis just on the event, a decision, a profession of faith. And please don't mistake this, if you are saved, if you have been born again... You cannot lose that. You don't have to work to keep that. But I'm saying this. If you have been born again, there will be evidence in your life from that point until eternity. Oh, pastor, are you saying that you can't backslide, that a Christian can't get away from God? No, but I am saying that if you're a child of God, it's going to show. How long can a person go on without a heartbeat and without any breath in their lungs before we question whether they're alive. And Folks, I'm telling you, I've seen way too many people that made a profession of faith as a child and then they lived their entire life with no interest, no concern whatsoever about spiritual matters, and then at the end of their life when you ask them, hey, are you saved? Are you going to... oh yeah, I did that all these years ago. Friend, listen, I'm sorry. That is not salvation. If you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life and there will be a change in you. And while you will wander, listen, I wandered for years. I wandered from God. But there was. let me, let me tell you the evidence. This is one of the things that the Lord used, really, to give me assurance of my salvation in Christ was that all that time that I wandered from the Lord, He was continually chastening me. And Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that those who are children of God will endure chastening. That discipline to try and bring us back into fellowship with Him. And it says, if you be without chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons. And those are pretty serious words, but friend, they're the words of God. There is a time and a place, there's a before and an after, and there is ongoing sanctification. Romans 8 and verse 29 says, Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. The confidence in our salvation, the assurance in our salvation is not in an event or an experience, but rather in the promise of God and in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But if you're going to prioritize the spiritual life, you must be saved. You must be born again. And I fear that there are some who sit among us tonight. And without, I'm not the judge. I don't know your heart. But I just believe that there are some that are sitting here tonight listening to the preaching that you've never been born again. Heard the testimony just a few moments before church, church started of a young lady who's been in church her whole life, and just last week realized that she was not saved. Called out to the Lord and was saved. Praise God for that. I rejoice. We look forward to baptizing her soon when we get the baptistry fixed. Amen. Amen. As we heard this morning in the message, if you are not saved, we beseech you, We plead with you. Not for our sake, but for your sake. Be reconciled to God. Prioritize your spiritual life. There is no greater need in your life. You say, well, you don't know what my needs are. I know what your greatest need is. You need to be saved. You must be born again. Quickly, salvation is the first step in prioritizing our spiritual life but then following salvation it ought to be our motivation to seek the lord in all the things that we do go with me if you would to philippians chapter number 3 philippians chapter 3 and this has to do with <clears throat> really the change that takes place in our life at salvation and i want you to notice it says in Verse number 7 of Philippians 3, he says, But what things were gained to me before, before salvation, before Christ, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him... Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. What is Paul saying here? Before salvation, I was so proud of my pedigree and my resume religiously, But after Christ, I set aside all of those things. Because bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. I set aside those things, and what things were gained to me, those I counted loss. And now my motivation is this that I may know Him. I live my life that I might know the Lord. Christian friend, may I ask you, do you know the Lord? You say, well, I've been saved. Okay, great, you've met the Lord. Do you know Him? Now, listen, I do not yet know Him like I want to know Him. And I've been saved a while. And I've been in the Word of God for a while. The Bible says in 1 John, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There's a couple things about that. First of all, we are not yet where we will be. But the reason that we are not yet where we will be is because we do not yet know Him like we will know Him. However, between now and that day, I want to live my life to progressively know Him more and more and more and more because the more that I know Him, the more I'll be like Him. Paul said, all all these things I do, I do that I might know the Lord. Can I ask you, Christian friend, child of God, how much of your life are you spending seeking to know Him? Add up the hours of your week and how much time you spend working and how much time you spend in leisure and how much time you spend scrolling and how much time you spend doing other things and then ask yourself, where are my priorities? How much time have I spent with the Lord? Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. Can I encourage you to develop a daily habit of Bible reading and prayer? Now here's the thing. This, this is... Fundamental and foundational. And I know that when I say that, about half of you check out in your mind, okay, here we go. We always hear it, right? Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. But listen, this is the most known exercise of the Christian life and probably the most neglected. You will not be close to God if you do not know how to get into His Word for yourself and you do not have a walk with God in prayer. Seek Him. Job said that he esteemed the Word of God above his daily food. Learn what it means to abide in Christ. Our theme this year is abide. Abide in Him. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except to abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Without me, ye can do nothing. Learn what it means to abide in Christ, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, to have the mind of Christ, to walk in the Spirit, and yes, to be filled with the Spirit. And then let me say this, if you find yourself distracted from your spiritual life because you're caring for other things, let me encourage you to repent and seek revival. I believe the greatest passage in all of Scripture that is descriptive of a need for revival and a heart crying out for revival is Psalm 51, where David is repenting to the Lord about his sin with Bathsheba that he committed. And in there, he says in there, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he talks about what's going to come of that. Lord, if if you'll just help me to get right with you. He said, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto me. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Do, Do you ever sit and think, man, I want my joy back? I want to see God working in my life again. You know what I believe David's problem was? Before the sin took place that caused visible outward problems, there was a heart problem where he drifted away from God and he forgot his purpose in life. The Bible sets up that scene between him and Bathsheba by first saying this, that it came to pass at a time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and he stayed home. I thought that's a fascinating concept when you realize that David was a man of war. He was a man that God had uniquely gifted. He was that man that really we're introduced to him as that young man who kills Goliath. I mean, that that was something that God had for him. He was a conquering king. Somewhere along the line, he lost his purpose. He got distracted by other things until not only did he commit the sin, but then in the next chapter, when Nathan the prophet comes to confront him about his sin, he doesn't even recognize it at first until Nathan has to say to him, Thou art the man, I'm talking about you. He didn't even see his own sin. Why? Because he had gotten focused on other things and so far away from God, he didn't even realize how bad he had gotten. Friend, can I just admonish you and encourage you, if you have lost your focus on your spiritual life, you need revival. You need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I have put my attention on other things. I've prioritized other aspects of my life to the neglect of my spiritual life, but I need to put You first. And I want to walk with You first. And I want to seek You first. Are you willing to prioritize Him? Have you been born again? You say, yes, I've been born again. Are you being sanctified? Are you growing in Him? Are you seeking Him? Or do you need revival? Do you need God to awaken you to your need. If that's the case, can I just encourage you, turn to Him and seek Him tonight. Prioritize your spiritual life. Let's pray.